0: This is ConspiraNormal.
1: Okay, everybody, welcome. We are here. We're live. With an exclusive. That's right. Strange realities in the background. And we have something here in the foreground that uh, we're going to talk about. Maybe you've heard of it. Tonight. Yeah, you guys might have uh, heard about this. And the reason that we're, we're going to tell you the reason why we're talking about it. What you're seeing right there is the Georgia Guidestones in the picture. And uh, who you are also seeing is Dr. Future. And the reason why we're doing this kind of, well, sort of impromptu, even though we we really scheduled this last week, sort of impromptu live session with Dr. Future tonight is because, well, to kind of set the stage, tell you guys why we're doing this, uh, recently there was an election in Georgia, a primary election for the governor. Uh, one of those candidates was a woman named Candace Taylor. And she had recently back in April put out this very well produced video, uh, talking about how she wanted to basically destroy the Georgia Guidestones. Well, this somehow came to the attention of, um, john oliver on uh last week tonight and he put it not actually on the show but on a segment during the memorial day weekend talking about the georgia godstands and in that segment he actually cited some research that was done on a documentary called dark clouds over elberton that is excellent by the way to, to watch because it gives you the real story of how the georgia guidestones were basically built but also funded and that's really the real mystery about the georgia guidestones supposedly there was this man named rc christian mysterious man that wanted to remain anonymous that funded the building of these guidestones these 10 guides to humanity so to speak And Dr. Future here was part of the team. And really, in my opinion, the person that really figured out what happened with the Georgia Guidestones and why they were built. So I want to welcome Dr. Future, Dr. Mike Bennett uh, to this live stream of Conspiranormal. So welcome, Dr. Future.
2: Thank you so much for having me, man. It's just great to be with good friends. And I mean that totally seriously. Good friends through thick and thin, and that's what really matters in life, you know. These stories come and go, fine, we get excited about them Sometimes they don't pan out, sometimes they do. But what lasts are lasting friendships with people that you respect. And when we're all truth seekers, sometimes we don't land at the same place at some same instant in time. But the matter is what we have in common is that we're trying to get to the truth of what's going on and hopefully adjust our lives to be in line with it and that's why I just really appreciate you all. Regardless of the topic, whatever we've talked about over the umpteen years you've been on, what uh 10 years that you've been on, it's been your friendship and I respect you all and I respect the the viewers here. Or or well, like thank- Benny Hill would say, everyone. Good evening viewers.
1: <laughs> well, thank you Dr. Future. We got a few people watching right now and yeah. I'm sure that a lot more people yeah. will probably watch this um after it's live uh, because uh, this will stay up on youtube for as long as either i or youtube will have it up and uh i really wanted to bring you on because several years ago you were part of the production of this documentary dark clouds over elberton and you really um we're the one, I think, that did a lot of the research and uh, figured out just who really RC Christian really was. And we have talked about this before. We talked yeah. about it whenever the. This is way before Serfiel even joined me. Um, we talked about this probably about 2015, whenever the documentary came out. And right. you guys can reference that. But we're so we're just really going to just review tonight. Uh, what this is and and just uh, just discuss you know kind of your journey with doing this and I also want to kind of talk about some of just not I don't want to sound like I'm complaining but just some of my own frustrations in trying to spread the word and I feel like now you know with this John Oliver a uh, segment that he did not on his own show but also but but on youtube which uh, last i checked a week ago had 3.1 million viewers so people are aware of this um and what's going on so dr future let's just kind of start for the top like how did you get involved with this georgia guidestones uh research
2: Well, for people who don't know me, who are watching this on YouTube or are newer to your show, I did a uh, actually a radio show over the radio in Nashville called Future Quake. Uh, that was from 2005 to 2012 before I decided to start writing books. And um, it also had about half the audience in addition was on the Internet as well. And one of the guests that I had on frequently was a guy that I'd heard about that made these sort of interesting documentaries called Chris Pinto. He was on the show several several times, taking sort of a contrarian view about some things, particularly religious things. And um, he started going to the church that my co-host, a.k.a. Tom Bionic, and I went to. So I got to know him a little bit better. He did a few other historical documentaries that used some of us there. But... um, I found toward the end of the show, I was going sort of in a different direction in my views on the world and things and the directions he was going. But uh, he told me, he said that he wanted to do a sort of the definitive documentary on the Georgia Guidestones to, um, it was coming up to the 30th anniversary of when they were built and unveiled uh, to capture a lot of the voices of participants that had never been interviewed And to at least just get all that solidified on what it was. Of course, he has his own worldview agenda he wants to, you know, put into that. And um, like I said, I was sort of moving in a different direction. Hadn't really had much connection there. But it's a little hard to turn down doing something about, like, the Georgia Guidestones, which is known as America's Stonehenge. I think it's one of the top most visited free attractions in the state of Georgia, I've heard. Um, it certainly captured the imagination of people around the world, uh, particularly because no one could solve the mystery of who had it commissioned to be built and what their purposes were in the enigmatic structure um, since it was built in 1980. And, um, coming up on the 30th anniversary, it just so happened that uh, History Channel had done specials. They did their normal thing where they throw out all the weird ideas and None of them had any evidence behind them and they left you with nothing. Um, I think National Geographic did. Even like CNN, the Los Angeles Times, all of them took a crack at it but could get nowhere because there was only one person affiliated with the project who had actually ever had revealed to him the name of who the commissioner of the project uh, who used a pseudonym, R.C. Christian, and he didn't plan to tell anybody. And so... Um, we had worked it out, arrangements to interview that gentleman, Wyatt Martin, who's a banker. Uh, and if my memory is a little logging on some of this stuff, the majority of this work was done in 2010 and it was shelved for five years over my wishes. Uh, there was a lot of things that, although I was listed as a co-producer, um, certain things I thought should be done that were not done. Some of them were. Some of them I was able to, like, for example, revealing the identity we found for R.C. Christian. There was a lot of resistance for that. I recommended that that be at least looked at, although he made the final decisions. He he had the right on deciding that for whatever reasons. I was just really an advisor and, and co-producer at that time. Um, but um, and I want to let the viewers know this is not something I – have any financial stake in I don't get any reimbursement for any of this I was supposed to uh, but that's another story um, but I was supposed to but I don't have anything so I want to encourage the uh, viewers you can find it for free on YouTube in its entirety and I would encourage you to use whatever free source you can to watch it so um, but anyway it sounded like an interesting thing to do and it was supposed to be sort of small scale on there interview these key people. Uh, we had a few of the people who oversaw the project in Elberton, the little town. Um, I don't know, hour, hour and a half outside of Atlanta due east, right by the South Carolina border. So granite capital of the world, it's where people who, uh, make most of the granite for monuments and things like that. So, um, that, that was where we went and was sort of an interesting adventure there, um, just even getting there. Like I said, it was a little bit of a shotgun marriage, but um, I had enough curiosity. I was sort of curious, although the thought was going to get some additional information that other people hadn't. We had some of the key project organizers in Elberton who we're going to talk to, but I really didn't expect much shocking to come out of it. Other than Mm -hmm. really historically, it was just going to document in their words. That's all I expected. Um, But we had something fall into our lap uh, right with the first interview from Mr. Martin um, that I guess I would describe it as a real life Da Vinci code moment. It was not Mm -hmm. staged. It was not uh, like you see on TV, the phony stuff where they set fake melodrama. It just was caught on camera. um, Opportunity presented itself and literally had a treasure chest open, which the way the documentary was edited by uh, the other producer, you don't really see that instant until about 70 minutes in. So most of the people I meet, even people who know me and want to see this, they don't wait the 70 minutes to see all the people give us their information about R.C. Chris as they experienced him uh, to actually see when things really get sort of crazy. But um, what happened as a result of that was that we got information. It was not known by any participants' information we had. And so when we talked to other parties in Elberton, they didn't know what we knew. We knew more than they knew. And it was because I was scrambling to do research based upon what I had seen and witnessed in an instant. Mm -hmm. And I had to go do a crash course on the road researching an enigmatic man on the other side of the country. And trying to arm myself with information to know what questions to ask to a group of people who ironically knew less than what we did. Um, and so they were a little bit more forthcoming and talking. And so they all gave us tidbits. And then there was a few people who no one had any idea was involved in the project, including one of the men, which was arguably one of the richest men in Georgia. And I don't mean Ted Turner, uh, someone who's not really well known. Who had a very very important role, uh, and had a very—I I don't know how to describe it other than sort of creepy experience—interviewing uh, him, and people who had the original land, people who knew about how the foundations were laid. Um, these people were overwhelmingly involved in like 33rd degree Freemasonry, so they like to talk in enigmatic terms and uh would say things i- I could recognize that they were carrying themselves in a manner like what they would be in a lodge basically uh real secret and so yes, yes, and, but you no know, liking to dangle stuff out there because it yep. gives them a sense of self importance to do that, and so uh we got all these views we were I was able to connect the dots because I was aggressively going through trying to verify addresses and names and get supportive information on this person in the matter of hours so I could ask better questions of these people uh, and make sure that the all they could give us descriptions. I mean, they didn't know this guy's name. They just sort of noticed his accent, dialect, what his interests were, how he carried himself, and it all started making sense. And so um, that was something that was never known before. The, there was another big revelation and it was made access to us the original um, documents, construction documents from the hands of R.C. Christian, which I still have. Uh, The actual drawings that he did, what his motives were, there were actually parts that were not, that didn't make it a part of it because of financial reasons and other reasons. Um, And all this just became privy to us. And I think if they had known, that we knew what we knew, they would not have made that private. Um, so, if you want to call it providential or secret or whatever, leave it that. But um, that was enough right there that we had an exciting breakthrough. But I really felt like we needed to go to where this supposed originator of the Guidestones resided or where well, he had can resided. I,
1: can I back up just a little bit? And I want to I sure. want to tell so that was part oh,
2: two like five years later. Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. I want to tell the audience real quick, just c- if you're okay with it, because uh, I mean they yeah. can obviously see it in the documentary, but uh so he the the, the banker who the funds went through in Elberton. Yeah there was this yeah. rumor. It had been written about in wired magazine that there was this old right. computer case, like a 1970s, I guess, or 1980s computer case Yeah, that he had all this stuff in. And you and Chris Pinto asked to see the case and you had seen that you saw the case and you actually saw a name uh, written on one of the envelopes that you, that you wrote down right. real quick. And that from just that little piece of serendipity you were able to start going back and linking connecting the dots
2: it all started falling together yeah Yeah. what had happened is yeah i was just supposed to tag along you know maybe help um chris doesn't like to be on camera so i was going to be the one asking questions and prodding them to give us you know information what their recollections were but, you know, I don't leave things alone like that. If I'm going to bother to go on a trip, even if it's for a weekend, I'm going to do a little bit of due diligence. So, I did a crash course on what some of the latest findings were on it. I only knew just some basic before. Mm-hmm. And I found out there had been this renewed interest coming into the third anniversary, which we were actually there, I think, on the date of the 30th anniversary of Bay on the Bad Stone unveiling. Of course, oh. it was the Vernal Equinox. But... um the um, that's where I found in doing this crash reading right before we left about uh, there'd been a rumor of an IBM computer case, well, a hard plastic case, almost like what you'd see people carry a sewing machine in or something like that. Uh, yeah. And uh, if I remember right, I'm going on vague memory because this is 12 years ago, but it seemed that the banker had said he he filled it with letters from... Um, Mr. R.C. Christian, who was the only person he knew, he had developed some close relationship with him after it was built and unveiled. And they maintained a correspondence uh, until some time that he passed away. And then his son let him know that he'd passed away. And it was it was asked about him if that existed. And he's, I seem to recollect that he said it was destroyed, that he had planned to keep it to maybe make a book about it, and memoirs, but then he got old and didn't do it. And I, I, I'd have to go back and look at it, but I think he destroyed it or anyway, he dismissed it as availability. And so what happened was I went on and asked him about it again during this lengthy interview. And we had a good interview and we talked about spiritual things and let him make his case, let him make it. Cause you know, so he was a very much, assault of the earth, practicing Christian in church every week and wanted to see how he rationalized being involved in something that's pretty menacing to most people and how he rationalized that with his uh, evangelical traditional Bible belt faith. So we, we let him give the opportunity for that and developed a good rapport uh, because we, we understood what he was talking about and not necessarily that I'm justifying his rationalization, but we just understood a lot of things he said, and uh, hopefully we came across as, um, you know, wanting more true spiritual motives rather than just like a lot of these fly-by-night news media people to come in. That's mm-hmm. what I gathered from him. And so to this day, I'm not quite sure why he was so forthcoming in mentioning it, mm-hmm. but I think it was intentional. I think and, uh, he mm-hmm. made it clear. Yeah, I'm sorry.
3: Well, I was just going to say. You made it clear. Yeah. Go ahead, doctor. Sorry.
2: What were you going to say? I
3: was just going to say at this time, it was really being popularized as part of this um, ideas of a new world order agenda, global government that would seek to call the population uh, and, and introduce world socialism. Things like this that are mostly coming from more right wing sources.
2: Yeah. Yeah, it was a a symbol that I would call, it was like a Rorschach test that people would impute upon it whatever their favorite conspiracy was as proof of it. Right. And so some people said they thought Scientology, Ron Hubbard was behind it. Some people said um, that um, Ted Turner, since he was from Atlanta, was behind it. Probably the most popular one was Bill Gates because everybody hated Bill Gates on how influential he was so they all had these pet reasons on on why they thought their favorite conspiracy somehow had to be connected to it and it's pretty juicy when it talks about the very top reducing the population down to 500 million um that would check a lot of people's boxes off and so um,
1: why candace taylor was so adamant on when she became governor of demolishing the georgia guidestones which, as Rock. we're gonna kind of find out here, is 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 pretty ironic.
2: Yeah, <laughs> that's that's Candice, C A N D I S S, right?
1: K A N D I S S. It's like K A N D I S. It's like Excuse Katniss in yeah. the Hunger Games. It's you know.
2: Yeah, yeah. Actually, I think that would be a good rap name she has. You know, uh, sort of spelling it that way. But anyway, uh, yeah, I guess maybe. Candace thought she could single-handedly destroy the Illuminati by tearing that the limestone down. Yes. So Maybe I, that I, would, guess, you know, I guess that
1: would be a That start, would be the first I domino. Suppose. Yeah. That
2: right. the Illuminati would just pound the table. Curses. We've been stopped in our millennia plan for world domination. By Adam, Adam, Adam
1: Weishaupt would just like, roll over in his grave and just pop out right. of it. And, yeah.
2: Right. Curses we would have gotten away with it if it hadn't been for you meddling kids, you know? Yes. Um, yes. But, but Wyatt Martin always said he wanted to take that mystery to his grave, you know, cause he promised not to reveal it. But it's very clear to me in hindsight, going through the material of the interview, I talked to Zach, he found some guys here who also were, you know, believers, people of faith, that I really lean pretty hard that he liked to have a venue and opportunity to sort of indirectly make that information available, but not by his hand because it indirectly was by his hand that that information was privy because, um, and in fact, I talked to him about that afterwards. Mm -hmm. I talked to him and said, you know, I saw some information in that IBM computer that he confirmed was still in his shed first time he'd ever revealed that and why he chose to tell us that is the big question to ask why did he choose to do that and i th- I think the reason why is he found a way other than by his own hand to be able to get his conscience clear that something was there you know he's an elderly man he was done, but he was still sharp he was still a really sharp guy and um uh,
3: but he might lose out on the, the deathbed confession or something like that. So that was his chance.
2: Yeah. Well, he was at an age where he could. Emote. I mean, he really was. I mean, he and he knew that. Uh, but he, uh, I told him, you know, that I had seen some stuff in there and proceeded. This is, you know, after that weekend, uh, later, uh, and he seemed to be fine with it. He, you know, he says, "I know you two guys are good guys." He told me. And he said, I remember him saying, he says, you go in God's grace. Because there were some people, I I know there were certain people, I won't get into this, that really did try to exploit it. And they exploited a venue through this whole operation. And I'm not talking about my co-producer, per se, but uh, other third parties that thought they had an opportunity to exploit it. And they, in turn, tried to impute on us some negative motives. But all we did was ask permission from Mr. Martin if we could see it and if we could look inside and, you know, literally I say by his own hand, when he held up, he, he chose to open the case. When we asked him after we took it out, he chose to hold up to the camera. Now he took his finger and covered up some information with his Mm -hmm. finger, but yet he, we asked for permission to film down inside the camera. In the box, excuse me, in the box. And there's addresses and names and everything right in there. With his permission. And later I asked him, you know, not that weekend, but later I said, you know, we saw some information in, in there. Uh, uh, is that OK about we use it? And, you know, and he said, you just go in God's grace. Whatever you use. So it's very clear to me. This was a way for him to be a person of his word. He didn't do it by his hand, but it was made available. And you know what I wonder? And I don't I'll never I guess I'll never know the answer to this. I assume he's passed away since then. Done in 2010. He was he was very old then. Um, that computer case would have ended up somewhere. It might have it could have been put in a dump, you know, it could have been just set on the corner, but I think somebody would have opened it to see if there was a computer in it, you know, when they were selling as estate. Um, and I wouldn't have been shocked if that information would end up on, um, eBay or Amazon, or they may have contacted the media to look at it. who knows, but it was going to come out eventually. And he didn't destroy it for a reason. He told people he destroyed it, but he did. not He said, well, I thought about writing a book about it, but I didn't do it. So why is he still hanging on to those letters? R.C. Christian had been dead for, at that point, I think probably about five years. Mm
1: -hmm.
2: So he was long gone. So there was some destiny for that information. And I think what he found was somebody who didn't get on his nerves because he told me other parties. Some who try to get involved with us that really got on his nerves right and so um were we chosen because we were inquisitive I don't know I just know that my understanding is we had his blessing from it even though there's been criticism that oh you took advantage of this man to get this information um all we did was ask him to you know um we didn't ask him to say the name or address, but it's sort of interesting how he opens up a treasure chest with that information right in front of us. So take well, that for you know for what it's worth.
1: So let's let's talk a little bit about uh the name that you saw and how that led you to find out who the main funder is, even though really we're talking about two gentlemen that did this. And let's talk about also this book that they also published and how that fit into the story. I guess not a book. Uh, it's really kind of a pamphlet really. But
2: oh uh, it was it was bigger than a pamphlet. I mean it, it had a spine yeah you know it was not a great big book it was i'm gonna it wasn't quite a dr about.
3: j michael Bennett book
2: no 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 it was about three eighths of an inch thick <laughs> okay paperback size book so big enough to have a spine it wasn't like a stapled pamphlet um and there was a lot in there but um the 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 other mystery about it that nobody knew about was the fact that I saw information in the instant in the sense that that case was open and I had to look over there. I saw two key bits of information. One was an address and thank goodness. I, I think it was a letter addressed to Mr. Martin and thank goodness it was done then and not now because I wouldn't remember for 30 seconds what I saw. But back then, I could hang on long enough that I could make a mental impression of it and remember an address. Didn't have a name, it just had an address. The other thing I saw was these packages that were sort of like disclosure Mm -hmm. promotional packages. Several of them in there, and he just thumped through. But the one that I was able to see the front of it was, I think, supposed to go to the Smithsonian. And um, it had care of Mr. Merriman. R. Merriman, and it may have had a P.O. box on it or something. So I had a name and an address. And my first assumption was, well, that's who this person RC Christian is. We've got a name and address. Well, and this is something I would have never guessed. And that's part of why it's not like, say, a contrived thing is that it turns out those were two different people. But the irony is, is that the address was in a little small town in Iowa that was in the same town connected to Mr. Merriman. And these were two prominent people, although Mr. Merriman had suddenly, he had moved to another town, ironically, with the name of Mason City, where he formed his own publishing house. He was was one of the heaviest hitters in... Uh, media in the state of Iowa he was the head of the Iowa Newspaper Association at one time uh, publisher of the papers and while he was in Mason City he he formed his own book publisher and that's where the book Common Sense Renewed was published which was from R.C. Christian or, I think Robert Christian I mean, it says on the front which I guess is a reference to Thomas
1: Paine I suppose Yes,
2: yes. Okay. Using common sense, and okay. the, but the address again was even though this guy had deep connections to the town in Iowa, and, um, it was still not the same address he lived as the other address. So it took me a lot of work to get the identity of the person, and thank goodness he was an inventor, because I found all sorts of data to. Assume or uh, confirm who he was. But the clincher was given since I'm an inventor myself and I've patented a lot of stuff myself, one thing I knew about patent literature is that you have to have it's very important legally to have your official name on the patent when you file it. You have to have the f- address that you had and a filing date. So all of those have to be legally accurate just to protect yourself for your rights. Well, it turned out the patent literature of all the other cooperation on who this guy was and, and address the the patents that I found out he got when I looked them up because I knew where to find them. They had a date was within a few months of when he went to build the Guidestones at that same address in that treasure box had the had the name, same name, had the same address I saw and it had mm-hmm. a date Right at the time he was doing that. So that was like you couldn't have asked for better evidence. And that was a legal document that confirmed, you know, by the government where he was. And and there was lots of other corroborating information. That's just one that I remember was uh, I was really glad that I had that background patenting things because I knew that would be a way to make it undeniable that we had the right person. And we actually went by his house, went by his house and his. His tombstone, his marker, grave marker, was like the final clincher of what he was about, and what it all—all all of the information dovetail. What was on the? Oh, I said. can't remember exactly what it said, but um, it said he was conservationist.
1: Yeah, and there was, was something like else. that, right? Yeah, conservationist. Yeah, and was, it was something there.
2: else. But everything was written about this gentleman, you know, under his identity of the people who knew him in, in the medical field. He was very prominent in the medical field, known nationally. Right, he known was doctor. And uh, they all talked about he was worried about the future of humanity, overpopulation, how mm-hmm. to control population, uh, balance with nature. This was this gentleman in, in the literature associated with his name. Uh, what how he was known? All of the newspaper article, in his town, all had that written about him uh, as well. What,
1: what was the name? Uh, can you? Uh, I think we could share the name. I mean, it's in the film, but it's but you know, I mean, it's yeah. John, Oliver's and John Oliver
2: and John Oliver mentioned it. Uh, right. The the name that I found associated with that address was a name Herbert Kirsten, Herbert H. Kirsten, K E R S T E N, which is a common name in that part of the country there. we would spend the South since it thickest fleas in that area.
1: So let's talk about him specifically and just some of his associations. There was someone that he admired that was also, uh, important to the story, but there was also people that Kirsten, someone that Kirsten, supported that really reveals what kirsten where he stood i guess politically
2: yeah 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 um well you know I'm, I'm going on memory here one of the ones that actually i think john oliver cited so it must have triggered him as being some legitimate cred of findings, was you know the problem with herbert kirsten was he was born in like 1920, 21, something like that. So almost all of his life of accomplishments were done prior to the internet. People back then don't leave a strong internet trail, even though they're prominent. I found things like, I think it was uh, popular science, I think. He had a letter in there uh, reading about and his were always sort of a little controversial and his positions about things. And it was something about medicine or whether we should i'm I'm trying to remember something about really like meter out or control who has access to medicine. Oh it was about immigration. That's one big thing he was about too was stopping immigration, and he was talking about treating them like drug dealers and pushers and and taking extreme measures with with people who were immigrants. In uh, preserving, you know, our blessings for the people who were here and the kind of people who were here. Um, but if, if you want me to go on and mention it, the, the one that was interesting to me was in the Tampa Bay. I was it the Tampa Bay Tribune. It's a Tampa Bay newspaper where he was writing and talked about how the guy who was really making sense to him that he supported was David Duke the uh, neo-Nazi. And actually the letter I got was the columnist who was responding to the letter. Uh, who he thought that was remarkable that you had this, phys- this unknown surgeon that would have a lot of acclaim to him was coming out as a letter of David Duke. And uh, so the article I had was actually the columnist re- referring to the Herbert uh, Kirsten of Fort Dodge that it actually uh, said that, you know, the real answers for America were in guys like David Duke. And, uh, you know, if you go look up David Duke, those of you not familiar, you'll first pictures usually pop up for him in a Klan outfit. Yeah. Because he was yeah. running well, for I mean, office, I think, still in his Klan gear, I think.
1: Right. Yeah. yeah and he, hardcore he, for, white
2: supremacist. Yeah. For those a that Holocaust don't know. Denier,
1: David Duke. He ran for, I think, governor of Louisiana in 1990. Uh, there's actually an excellent yeah. podcast that you can listen to about that. But, um, yeah. But there was also an influence on Kirsten was William Shockley,
2: right? Now that information came from an older man in Fort Dodge when we finally got to go there five later after this project had been on the shelf against my wishes and I was helpless to move forward and finally got the green light to go up there and interview some of the Fort Dodge people. And we went to sort of the historical society there at the library. And if you've ever seen the trailer for dark clouds over Elberton, you hear the people at the table saying, we had no idea about the double life of this man. And no, they were, they were absolutely the evidence astounded. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And the the data that I showed them, they said, well, this actually sort of makes sense, uh, makes sense, but we would have had no idea. They didn't know about the Georgia Guidestones. They didn't know what they were. They knew he was a different kind of guy. He had some extreme views about future humanity and conservation and things like that. But there was one older man on there. He strikes quite a pose. He referred to himself as the town gadfly. He was obviously very intelligent, but he's sort of the troublemaker. And he had a lot of issues with the Kirsten family. They're a very powerful family, very influential. And so, you know, he had additional dirt that actually what I found reinforced what he had already learned from a lifetime of being in town. But he he was sort of seen, you know, a little bit as the the black sheep of the town because he interjected some of this stuff. And he was the one who mentioned the connection uh, of Herbert to William Shockley uh, toward the end of the documentary. Like I said, things really pick up steam in the documentary about 70 minutes into the 120 minutes. And then all of a sudden, all these revelations like the drawings, like, uh, some documents we found in the building construction that may have been intended for the time capsule in there, which was def- definitely the scariest thing that I looked at. Um, and so, uh, but William Shockley was identified, and that guy gave gave us a little mini lecture about William Shockley, who invented the transistor, got a Nobel Prize. Um, I want to qualify what I say because you say bad stuff about people, got to be careful on. Media, But my recollection is he was connected to the Pioneer Fund, which was involved in racial eugenics. Uh, Adam, do you remember any of that? Does that ring a bell with you as well? Yeah.
1: And I mean, if you look at the Wikipedia page, not always the best source, but you can source it out. You know, he was he had he had some interesting views on race and also eugenics. And And I, I, I want his career. Yeah, I want to interject, though, too. I mean, Iowa in the 20s and in in the 30s and even before that, Iowa was one of the states that was huge on eugenics. And so Kirsten growing up there, I think that 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 really would have influenced him quite a lot. Yeah. Especially entering the medical field. Right. Right.
2: Right. You know, the irony of that is he went to school at Notre Dame and but then he did a stint in the army as an army surgeon, you know, an army hospital. Uh, I
1: mean, just looking at this about Shockley, it says that he did, he advocated voluntary sterilization, you know, I mean, just some pretty horrendous stuff.
2: Oh yeah. and Involuntary. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Involuntary. Yeah. And he, um, it wasn't like he just said this once or twice offhand. It became sort of the focus of his life.
3: Right. These were American eugenicists.
2: And that ruined his career. It ruined. His career. In fact, a lot of these organizations that gave him awards wanted to rescind it, I think, for that reason. So he became a pariah uh, in science because because of this. And so the question still remains.
0: At Parker, our purpose is simple.
2: The, when you read the letters of both the letters of that I have that he wrote to the people in Elberton to build this monument, and also in the book Common Sense Renewed, uh, they talk about a group of concerned individuals. They were concerned about the future of humanity. The Guidestones were meant to inspire people to think in a certain direction and discuss to get prepared for what we needed. Now, what comprises a group? Was that him and Mr. Merriman? Were there more people involved? And one of the things that was a really neat opportunity I had is that in the documentary, I got to interview a circuit court judge that I found who was a nephew of Mr. Merriman. And, you know, he didn't know who we were. We weren't part of any prestigious thing. Why he made time for me. And it, we we did the interview in a courtroom. Mm-hmm. If you remember on the video, we're sitting in a courtroom and he just very nonchalant when I mentioned some of these things we found about Mr. Merriman, he says, none of this really surprises me about my uncle. He affirmed that he and Mr. Burstyn knew each other very well, that they hung out together. Uh, I also found out that they both did a similar project uh, to build some kind of like a, a structure, like for a, a band structure for an outside band to play gazebo kind of thing for downtown Fort Dodge. And in fact, uh, Mr. Kirsten even built a model of this structure, which was just like the model he built of the guide stone he brought with him to Elberton to show them what he wanted. Interesting. And it turned out that he had some patents in like concrete construction. He Mm -hmm. wasn't just a surgeon. Mm -hmm. He understood structural loads. He understood how to build edifices and things like that. Right. And that was, he was a really, uh, you know, a, a renaissance man in that respect. But, uh, Fort Dodge is an interesting place because one thing that it, if had I been editing it, I want would have made more interest of and reflection is it was the origination of a hoax of a, um, a Nephilim of all things, which is one of the common topics, you know, we've heard about in some Christianized versions of your kind of shows um, that there was a debate, I guess. But I don't know. This may have been in the 20s or something like that, maybe even earlier uh, up in the northeast between a pastor and a an agnostic about whether there were giants on the earth before. And this pastor pointed out Genesis six and how there were giants before. And so this this agnostic guy just didn't brush it off. He just thought it was an opportunity to sort of put a thumb in the eye of the religious, superstitious people. So we had this fake, like, uh, he, he had it made out of granite. It was a fake giant that was sort of cut that they, these guys at Elberton did. Um, and he had it sent there and buried in secret on a farm. And then had it. This is like taken back to the north. I've heard of this giant. Had it like unearthed? Yeah, had it unearthed to show. Oh wow, here's a fossilized. And I guess it toured around the country before he came out and said, "Hey, we planted it." The funny thing is, I think it was P.T. Barnum saw that and thought, "You know, there's some gold in them there hills." He tried to buy it, and they wouldn't sell it, and so he made his own. So PTR made his when he thought "Well, gee, these suckers, you know, sucker born every minute. So he had one and he carted it around town, too. So, you know, I, the thing I like about that is that it sort of shows people who exploit people who are interested in legitimate mysteries, which, you know, I would say probably includes all of us here, including the listeners, that we don't want hucksters to take advantage of us because there's a long history of it. And in fact, I would say if you go back and look at the mystery religions in the ancient temples, you find out a lot of those temples they uncovered. Archaeology, the priest had these mechanisms where they could animate these gods. And it was like a cuckoo clock or something, you know, where you have all these like little animated guys working, you know, and a cuckoo clock. They had these ancient things that worked to make people think, of course, they're loading up uh. Probably um, uh, not I, it was the uh, absinthe drink, uh, uh, absinthe uh, version of it. They had, uh, they had an ancient Greek version of it, uh, oinkos, th- absinios, something like that. But, you know, so they are already a little tipsy or a lot tipsy. And then they're seeing these mechanized things. So that's an old thing. And I don't say that to discourage people looking up the mysteries of the world because I'm one of them. But we just have to be careful. We don't want to be made fools of. So we need to have a good way to flush out stuff, to ask good, hard questions. You know, look at Occam's razor. What's the more reasonable explanation? Because, I mean, you look at the History Channel, these other ones, they're just rife with exploiters and profiteers.
1: Right, and, then, you know. and 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 they showed that in uh, the 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 John Oliver segment. They showed a, that this was from Brad Meltzer's Decoded, which incidentally also interviewed yeah. Chris Pinto, but in a different show. Right, uh, they you know they're they're looking at it and say, is it is it is it ten? is it 10 rules? And like, oh yeah, it is. It's 10, you know, just really being just like completely sensational and really blowing it up. And, and, and and before I get to like David Metcalf actually gave me a couple of questions for you, but before I get to that, I want to talk just about my own kind of just frustration, especially with kind of like the paranormal community on this and why people really didn't uh, hop on this. I think, first of all, I think one of the reasons for that was that Chris Pinto was a Christian filmmaker. I think that it kind of stayed in kind of the Christian ghetto, so to speak. Uh, it doesn't really have an overt Christian message until the end of the until the end of the film. Uh, so I think that that was one reason. But I think the second reason really was um, it just wasn't sensational enough. It wasn't the Illuminati. It wasn't Ted Turner. It wasn't Bill Gates, even though Bill Gates wouldn't have been anybody in 1980, but whatever.
2: Uh, But you you know what disturbs me about that uh, is that when you say it was not sensational enough. Yeah. We had, you know, Nazis, we had Nobel laureates. We had a secret society, ancient secret society pointed out. We had a secret treasure chest. Had uh, a uh, potential document in an unknown time future unveiling of a time (laughs) capsule that had a menacing view of world events, you know, something that no one had ever seen before. Mysterious people we didn't know were third parties doing it that were Mm -hmm. powerful and more. I could go a lot more, and that's not sensational enough for people.
3: But you solved it and. You were ruining it for people who wanted to indefinitely sell yeah. this mystery
2: well
1: it, here's my own experience yeah. okay um when i i was i managed to get you on a couple of shows um and and then other than my own, you went on a t- i think two or three and then you talked about it again on banal's show i think last year or, or a couple of years ago and um but there was one paranormal podcast that had a lot of clout at the time. it really isn't, it's still around sort of, but kind of different in a way. And I'm not going to say who it is, but I went to this conference and I got from Chris Bento himself, a whole stack of DVDs and I sold them. And I also, I, I sold, I think two of them for him and I, but, but he allowed me to also give them away as promotional material. So I gave the co-host of this show, who was also the producer, I gave it to him to watch, gave him a free copy of the show. He watched it. I followed up like a couple of weeks later. They said, this just does not fit with the show. And you know what? Yeah. That's funny because I had heard them talk about the Georgia Guidestones at least a couple of times before. And they had they had also had they'd had people on the show with all kinds of ridiculous claims. And it just wasn't it welcome for with some open reason, arms, what, right. it wasn't sensational enough, but I think the real reason why is because it is so sensitive and it's and it's real and it's and it's very, very political because you can definitely see what is going on now. As an extension of what was happening then. And like that's why I said it's ironic that someone like Candace Taylor wanted to blow up the guidestones when it was people that she would probably have a lot in common with now. Right. Politically. Right.
2: right. And that well, was the and point. That's why the John even Christian center. circles. Yeah. Even in Christian circles it had limited interest. Because it didn't finger some hardcore leftists as the guys like aha. We knew it was them. We knew this was, you know, some plot of the left to do something to kill us all. And so, yeah, even the Christians didn't want to touch it. You know? Um, You know, the irony is, I don't see a whole lot of people on the left who even want to talk about it either. You'd think that'd be great fodder for them too. But, you know, you fall into a twilight zone and I'm starting to detect a trend in my life because... My last book I did had some pretty funky revelations in it, too. Some pretty surprise revelations about origins of Christian media and who the big businessmen were behind it. And now I'm starting to talk about the hardcore white supremacists of the people who bankrolled things like Christianity Mm -hmm. Today and stuff like that. It just yawns on left and right, Christian Mm -hmm. and non-Christian. Is that a sign that you're really getting to the heart of the matter? Is when you find ambivalence on all these other groups. I'm starting to wonder. You know, they always said that, you know, when you're over the target, you start getting flack and criticism and stuff. And that's true. But sometimes broad ambivalence may be the sign that you're getting onto the
1: indifference, the right thing, apathy. Yeah.
3: Or just not fitting into everyone's preconceived ideas, narrative, and frameworks. Yeah. yeah.
1: yeah. Well, uh, let me get to these questions. And, and if anybody else has any questions. I yeah, we got some in the audience, concert, too. Uh, as well. Okay. Uh, well. We'll go probably another 20, 30 minutes here. But uh, David Metcalf asks uh, three questions. I'm going oh, to try to keep this down here. So does Dr. Future think that the networks of individuals and influences that he uncovered in his research on the Georgia Guidestones represent something that is still active or what it or was this a small niche group that had a particular idea and now that the individual members are dead or retired it's pretty much dead and we kind of you cover we touched on that a little bit uh second question is why does he think the stones were never completed because you do have blueprints that show like a capstone and a couple of other things that were supposed to have been built uh and then the third question, while it may not be true that the stones are an Illuminati monument, quote unquote, what does he think should be done with their actual history? How can the community, which would be Elberton, address the actual funding and reasons behind the monument now that it's become so central to Elberton's identity? Now, I don't know if he's watching, but I'm sure he will probably watch later. So,
2: Okay well i have to first of all say to him and to the other viewers that this was supposed to be an impromptu don't prepare stuff kind of thing because i thought we were doing like 20 to 30 minutes and i see we're almost at an hour now so i i I always like to be really well prepared because i thought we were doing just a brief discussion so i have to have a little mea culpa with uh our dear friend here, who's asking these very good questions, so okay. I wish I was better prepared, but I don't know if I could still answer. Regards, oh, the first one about was this just a group that withered away? Um, I have to be real honest and say I don't know, but I'm am intrigued about. Oh, I would love to do further research, and if Mister Medcalf wants to get with me and do that, I'd love to do it further. Um, well, he's
1: pretty close to the guy says he's in that area. So,
2: yeah, I wanted to write a book about this and some additional information I have, like some of the additional drawings and, um, the role that the Atlanta Freemasons were had been mentioned by him as part of it. Um, originally, you know, there was a ship were mentioned in Atlanta in the document and the construction files I had and I called and it was their number. Mm-hmm. I mean, this was like an old, old, old document, but it had a phone number and they answered the phone and they seemed to act as if like going along with having affiliation with the Guidestones. Uh, and then- That's they, the
3: AMORC,
2: right? Yes. Which I did a little research right before we went on air here and did and went back to their website and the gentleman, Bernard West, I talked with is still around. Uh, he's still there, but they have strong affiliation with the Martinists they're as much Martinist as they are a And And um, they come up a lot. Of, you know, I know I think recluse and some of these other guys have talked about that a lot, but um, so uh, I would still like to sit down with them. Uh, they wanted to get the documents that we had to look at. And my co-producer sort of got cold feet on that amongst some other things. You know what we were getting into with it was a little spooky like what we were getting into these people because the documents were pretty scary and some future some big things are now once that time capsule opened, it was suggesting that certain events were going to start happening with great frequency that were earth shattering and um he was afraid to meet with them and it could have been that they just wanted to get those documents because they didn't know and they wanted to just exploit them for their own purposes. And they may have just been leading it on that they, their confirmation that they had involvement. But then they got real tight lipped when we wanted to talk to them first and they didn't want to talk. I'd still like to see is there anything plausible? You know, is there something they know or is it something they just like to get on for their own advancement? I don't know. Um, I'd be curious to know if any of the family members of these two men, had any evidence of things that I mean they some really, really powerful figures in the families. And when I started to talk to some of them, they got really, really antsy and a little aggressive. And so I dropped that quickly. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I mean, they're in, they're in high levels in government and industry. And I would be curious to, if there's any connection there. And then of course, William Shockley. Uh, I think that would probably involve having to go through his, library or papers um the only time i you know just if there was a connection with mr kirsten like a direct connection because we don't know if this group you know they called it a small group but i don't consider two people a group unless right. they were just being just i i wouldn't be shocked if there's some other parties involved but that would require some really good quality academic research where you get into people's libraries but you know shockley would be the first person i'd go to uh on that um
1: but i think i would i think I would, would still like,
2: involved in that dude would you say I,
1: I, well i think i would put it like this i would say that probably that i mean most of these men i'd say all these men are probably dead at this point if they're not then you know some of the younger ones might be really old but i think yeah. ideologically some of this still lives on.
3: Yeah. They're part of something, you know, they might've been yeah. a small part that has died out, but it's part of yeah. something broader and right. that's continued. Obviously. Yeah.
2: Well, that that would be different groups some would be groups who literally had some connections with them at the time they did it. I mean, it's 19 acts. It doesn't seem that long. Mm-hmm. Uh, they could still be around. Yeah. Uh, you know, they could have varying levels of when they met each other and how long they were involved before they followed through and did this. And then another thing is, like you say, people who revive it, basically just jumping back on the bandwagon. We've seen all these ancient societies resurrected and they try to connect back to the original founders. You know, it's pretty feeble, but they do. So so either way, what I don't know is if they think something like the Godstones wishes anything. Thing people and then, would do is they'd like to lay claim to it so I could put them on the map, right? You know. And
3: what about um, why they weren't completely Can you remind me
2: this? Uh, I think it was a very practical matter, and this may show why they, these guys probably aren't like the all-powerful Illuminati that you'd think, because the letters I have said that it was due to economics. I mean, they spent a lot of money building what's there. It's and a lot of rock. They didn't. They didn't pressure him for money. But the guy, um, Mr. Kirsten, did manage the project pretty, you know, he stayed on top of it. You know, in some ways, he gave an impression like money's not an object because I kept thinking, well, this is a weird thing to do. It's going to cost a lot of money to make. And he's like, I understand, you know, proceed. But then once it got underway, the letters I have show that he was being mindful about what they're doing in an economic fashion. You know, they had to bring translators from the United Nations and figure out how to translate in the universities on how to translate all the ancient languages on it and there was a lot of little fringe parts of the project but um, the other in the letters it said that you know it's going to take more money and I don't know whether to reveal this here or not because I would have except Adam said he might want me to show it at the next Strange Realities Conference so if you we want, can, I can we, hold yeah, that. Yeah, we can we can hold off on that. That's okay. I can I can show, but there were some additional features that <laughs> yep. were made would make it on a far grander scale that didn't make it. And I think he, they they all were supposed to have mystical significance. And I can I can take photocopies of the original letters and put them up there, and you can see what they look like. Um, and then he wanted it to be a catalyst for other people to add to it. So it would just keep growing and grow like Disney world, just keep growing and growing. Um, right. So that's part of the reason why it wasn't added. You know, he felt confident that he would accomplish his goal for future generations with what did get built.
1: And, and I want to point out too that the reason, I mean, this is pretty, I think this is interesting as well. The reason that he, they did build those as basically a guide for humanity after basically after a nuclear war. That was really what it was. I mean, because it's nineteen eighty, it's the height of the Cold War. And you know, Elberton then, I mean kind of still is, is a really kind of isolated spot. So they really thought that, well, this would be a yeah. good spot and like, you know, the survivors will come and see this. And that's why it's in the different languages and such. You know, that that was wow. That was the reason for building it where, well, Elberton, really, the reason, part of the reason, too, was just because the granite was granite there in the ground. and, and that Small was town, good old boy network. network, too.
2: That was a practical reality. Originally, yeah. there was a place south of there they wanted to build because it was on some kind of ley line.
3: Do you, you have, have that put, location? Uh,
2: Yeah, it was like a 33.3 degree ley line. I'd have to go look it up. I've got somewhere. But it turned out not to be practical because it was going to cost a fortune to haul the granite there. Right. I mean, it was in the general vicinity, it was still in Georgia. But uh, he decided that you better build it right near the quarry. And that made it. But originally, they
3: wanted it on the 33rd parallel, sounds like.
2: I seem to recommend I think. I think. I'll have to go back and double-check that, but I, I think you know, it well, it may that, have even been makes- closer to the one that Roswell's on. What's that, 19.47? I'll have to go. 33.3 might be far north of there. I, I think Roswell I is on the degree kind of parallel. Made.
3: It's around Atlanta, yeah. yeah.
2: Okay, I was thinking it was like 19.47, but that'd be pretty shallow. I think that'd be pretty close to the equator. So Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Anyway, well, but what it, what is true was he planned to put it on one of these numerically significant lines at a place that he said the Cherokees called the navel of the universe. Mm-hmm. In other words, the opening to the inner world. Yeah. And that was his original, but then practicalities come over. So uh, was yeah, what was his third question?
1: it's about the yeah. community and how the community, if... It becomes wide, more widely known. The reason why it was built, how does the community adjust to that?
0: Yeah. If at all. Well,
2: you know what they said on air when we interviewed them? The key guys that were involved said, We hope it's never discovered who did it yeah. or anything about it because they said it adds, not because they had some mystical commitment to anything. They said the mystery adds to the attractability of people coming to Elberton. Yeah, Man. yeah. You're also messing with the local economy like, yeah. there, Doctor Future. Well, these guys were Chamber of Commerce people, okay, and so they thought it would become like cars lined up everywhere, you know. And their grand opening, they had congressmen there. Con- I mean, they had bleachers set up. Congressmen were there. Very famous people were there for the unveiling, you know, which I don't remember. I. I should have, I guess I I would be a sophomore in high school, but, you know, we didn't have the internet back then. Nobody covered it on mainstream TV, but local TV, you know, in Georgia covered the event and, uh, because the documentary starts out with old videotape, grainy videotape of it. I don't Um, think
1: it was too widely known about till the early two thousands.
2: Yeah, probably because of the
1: internet. I think, that's when the guys, you know,
2: why didn't did in search of, you know, with Leonard Nimoy, did they ever do an episode on it? I don't don't think so. It'd been Perfect. That would have been perfect for them. Man. You know, if Elberton had been on the ball, because I have the documents, including the guy who donated the land, who wasn't on before this documentary, you read them all. They're all just scheming how to make it best fit to make money off of it, off tourism. Yeah. And they were talking about having, with debates, like Christians would debate other people there about what was written on the Guidestones. They had big plans. Um, And I guess this would have furthered R.C. Christian's goal, too. But the irony of it is that the apathy of the public didn't pan out like neither R.C. Christian or Elberton hoped. And I think R.C. Christian had understood that they were going to be putting more marketing money into making available. So he was going to force multiplier for him. The city would be doing the promotional work. And I just don't think they had the funds and wherewithal to do that much. And so um, they didn't quite realize their dream in that regard. They just had some witches go up there and do some ceremonies, you know.
1: It, it it yeah, it was not a big deal until probably Alex Jones started talking about it. Yeah, that's probably I when mean, it started becoming a big deal. People started being it, it, it entered the consciousness.
2: Yeah, thinking about the logo behind your old shows, you'd have to say for a similar town, Roswell did a lot better job marketing itself.
1: Yeah, that's true. Yeah, uh,
2: even that could have been done in a greater degree, but they had more success than Alberton did. Yeah. These right. these
3: mysteries can definitely be uh, economically generating engines for small towns for sure.
1: Well, yeah. I, I think do we? I did. Was there any questions? Anybody? We don't have a lot
3: of questions. Uh, someone was asking about the Roscrucian connections. I think we kind of covered that. Uh, he was just. Yeah. Was,
2: uh, did they ask us specific about it?
3: Oh, uh, they were. They were just wondering if. Um, Please tell us, doc, his nom de plume is no reflection on Rosicrucianism
1: yeah, question mark. r c. Christian yeah
3: but it obviously seems like it well, and it and for anyone who's read the manif the uh the three um the the manifesto the confession and and the wedding, you have similar types of things where there's kind of like these time capsules to revive the yeah. the order um after Rosen,
2: right yeah. Yeah, you're talking about the chemical wedding uh Christian Rosenkreuz. Yeah. And I believe it's uh, in the confession
3: the, uh, that they have that uh that there's actually like this kind of time capsule in this temple that's that's isolated that you can then restart the order based on. So it's got Now I didn't it's know. It's definitely that. got some elements. That's, in,
2: that's You haven't, in that part you of haven't read your
3: your Rosicrucian uh <laughs> manifesto yet.
2: A lot. Well, I read like their manifesto stuff and I found commonalities, which is what I would have put in the book, which he didn't want to get into the documentary. I found some things that showed similar themes. But let me first. First of all, I assume the person asking this is either a a Rosicrucian or B sympathetic to it. Would I be probably right?
3: Yeah, I think he is. He's a friend of the show.
2: Yeah, yeah. But I mean, they want to. They're a little bit of apologist for Rosicrucian, which is that's okay. Uh, what I, to be clear, uh, the only reason that they came up in the equation was that there was a document in the construction document files that we got from the man who donated the land that appeared to be the writing that would be in the time capsule. It was saying about now that you've opened this, the time is right for the quick events and the unveiling of things. Now that, this has been, and you know, there's no date on when to open the time capsule. And I asked that who built foundations on camera when that was supposed to be. And is there, does somebody know? And he just grinned at me on camera and kept twirling his little Masonic rig. So, you know, um he sort of left it. Either, either it was just toying with us or he, he knew. But regardless, this document sure sounds like it. And it says upon opening this and it was in the construction documents along the time capsule so I'm thinking it was meant to be in the time capsule it says, present this to the uh, AMORC or the Order of Rosicrucians of Atlanta mm-hmm. chapter at this telephone number. So for grins I called the telephone number and the Atlanta chapter of the Rosicrucians answered. And that's when they seemed to play along that, yeah, they knew something about it, but they really wanted to know what we knew. So there was a little bit of a standoff on who was going to reveal what to who. And then we were still supposed to meet and maybe show them the documents. And then they got cold feet, didn't want to talk. So there's a possibility that this document was not left by RC Christian. There was a guy, his name escapes me, and his wife started sort of a cult. And this cult started hanging around the Guidestones in later years and formed a group there. They got to be sort of an irritation to the locals. And some of the wording in it sounds similar. So either he, do- he adopted the wording from this Rosicrucian stuff or it really was just a document from him and he made this up. But the Mm -hmm. AMORC people sort of played along with it when I called. That doesn't necessarily mean that for sure they were part of it. They could have just been playing along to fish for information. But that's sort of where things are. So I can't verify it without sitting down talking to them. Like, for example, if they had other corroborating information of letters between them and R.C. Christian, that certainly would show that they had more direct involvement with it. But the problem is Rosicrucians have a reputation that they don't reveal anything. They have a requirement that they don't reveal anything. So, you know, asking right. a Rosicrucian is about like asking a monk that has taken a vow of silence.
3: Right. And it's very Maybe possible. The these were just people who happen to be Rosicrucians and Masons and that this does not represent some big organized plot by those organizations.
2: And, Right. And I don't even know if they were Rosicrucians. These other cult people eventually, I forget how they fell apart, but, you know, I don't but know. But I do think uh,
3: he might have gotten some of the ideas. It's actually from uh, Fama Fraternitatis, which was the first yeah. Rosicrucian manifesto. And it has Christian Rose Cross's vault in it. And the vault uh, contains mm, yeah. the information to restart the order. So it's kind of that same kind of myth.
2: That's uh, an amazing correlation there. And, uh, you know, even if these people were that case cultist that they put it, why would you mention a morgue and your telephone number from Atlanta if they if you didn't if they didn't at least influence their thinking? So I'd like to you know, that was one on my high list. I want to get resolved and I was voting for going down there and meeting with them and sort of got vetoed. So there is no reason why anyone else can't take up the mantle
1: well dr future Are there, I, want to there think, I mean
2: you could look them up i just went to their website today that shows their address you know i looked on google earth i could see their building um you can walk right up there it's it's in the atlanta area
1: dr future i want to thank you for doing this tonight this has been this has been excellent uh very very informative hey, hey, and hey, were
2: there any more questions i Anything don't else think so no, i don't think so okay.
1: thanks for everyone who tuned in yeah. though uh, yeah, we had a pretty decent uh, little live audience, and I'm sure we'll get more when uh, it's uh, – I mean, you guys can watch this as soon as we end the broadcast. So, um, Hey,
2: Adam, can I say one last yeah. thing if you're trying to hurry up and get off? Um, it just as a favor and a plug, the thing that I'm really, really into now is in my book writing. Uh, yeah, I was,
1: actually, I was actually just about to say that. Yeah, please didn't tell mean to jump. A
2: lot of times, I forget to say something on an interview, and then I get off the air. Yeah, target, tell everybody about I,
1: your about your books and and where they can yeah. find those.
2: Sorry about the shameful plug. Um, the thing that I'm really spending my time on is trying to disclose the history of the people of my religious tr- faith tradition in evangelical Christianity as a still practicing believer. Uh, I'm my first book out on this series called Two Masters and Two Gospels, Volume One, which you'll see interviews on Conspiranormal Archived. Um, I talk about how their origins were found in big business, who actually started them to try to stop the New Deal and worker rights and those kind of things and how like Christianity today and a lot of these ones found their origins in these people. Uh and it's gets crazy because the first UFO cult religions in America the start of the the counterculture drug movement was all connected to the people who are writing the spiritual underpinnings of this Christian libertarian movement. Bohemian Grove is part of it. It's all factually based, and that's just in volume one. And I'm finishing up volume two to come out. Volume one's available everywhere, Amazon or any place such find books. Two masters two and two three. gospels. Right. Volume one. Uh, and Volume 2 will be here pretty quick. It gets into the 80s forward, and you're going to find a, a world cult movement that took over the major evangelical parachurch institutions, and worse. It's going to talk about their involvement in Iran-Contra uh, and some figures who probably will be on the stage next year as presidential candidates. I get into some bizarre history of them, major figures that Almost nobody knows, and that's going to be very, very relevant here in about twelve months. So I hope to have that out soon. But volume one, it's four hundred and eighty pages, so you go and get it now and start getting read up, so you'll be ready for volume two. So sorry about the commercial, but that's something. Right now,
1: I'll I'll give a, a plug for for us as well. You guys see behind us the Strange Realities logo. That is our conference, um, and we're doing something every month as well, online, on Zoom, um, October 14th through the 16th. Come join
2: us in Nashville or
1: online, and Dr. Future will be there as well. As Dave Metcalf make- says,
3: Dr. Future is a national treasure.
2: Well, glad somebody thinks that. Hey, by the way, on last year's Strange Reality, can people actually buy those files to see last year's? Yeah, they just have Or to donate to things. get them?
1: Yeah, they just have to just uh, contact me. Yep.
2: Okay. Or I had stuff- com or
1: on Facebook. We have three
3: years of conferences to watch.
1: Yeah,
2: Yeah, because I had some stuff in last year's conference on mind control stuff with the with the military and some stuff that I'd like to see some other people take up, just like the Georgia Gadstone stuff, but people need to go get that and watch it, and there's a bunch of other great presentations there, too, so... I wanted to do a little strange reality commercial there because that's some good material that are there yeah, in your archives.
1: They, they just need to contact us and uh they'll be able to see that. All right. Thank you. Thank you so much, Dr. Future. Uh we're gonna continue go this broadcast. Thanks to everybody to listen and uh watch. I mean, and we will have this available also on audio on the feed as well. So we will talk to you soon.
4: One, two. Uh, one, two, three. One, two. Now, now Harvest? Oh, yeah? Yeah, Shelby? Now, I am I'm worried
5: that they, they are armed to us. Conspiranormal and these secret societies, the, the International Association of Conspira Normalists that is for the $5 patrons. The ten dollar level of the, the mystic crew of conspirable and the top of the pyramid as we discussed the our, eye, on our the eye of the pyramid. that's right the on eye our
4: the pyramid that too. on
5: our last episode transmission this secret society the ancient circle of strange realities that, that, that now that we discussed they are on to us.
4: Well, uh, well, you know, you heard them when they were talking about. Uh, oh, yes. you know, On their on their Patreon now. Now you know I, I, I go and I subscribe. I know you got to know what your enemy is doing. If you ever heard the, if you ever heard the Godfather, you know keep your enemies close, you, you know, your friends or your enemies close or something. It's, it's, it's like that. you got to do that sometimes. And I heard that man, occultist Adam Sane. I yeah. heard him talking about us. And they all are to us. But they still don't know how to get rid of these transmissions now.
5: That's right. So I, I don't know how long we have left with these broadcasts here on, on the Conspira Normal Show. And so we we don't have a lot of time.
4: That's right, we don't. So we don't are making some time. of our, our
5: final pleas.
4: It's 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 getting very short. I mean it's it's it's, it's really coming. They're coming after us. society like the end they game. Uh, they're coming after us just like they came after my great great grandpappy, Jesse. It's 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 coming and it's about to happen. So we got you we know, we've been here for the last few episodes warning y'all about Normal, and their evil ways, and not giving to their Patreon, not becoming part of their Patreon at either a $5, $10, or $20, level. You don't want to do that. You don't want to go. But, I mean, if you really want to know what's going on with Conspirator, and what's really happening, you can go and subscribe for $5, $10, and $20. And we have... That's right. The you know we people on
5: the inside.
4: We, we do. We do. We do. We have former conspirnomalists,
5: members of the Mystic Crew, and the Ancient Circle of Strange Realities that we will have on soon. Hopefully, if this we can continue this broadcast.
4: We're gonna we're gonna drop that pretty soon. You guys are gonna see that happening. We're gonna keep we' are gonna keep uh, interrupting this evil show and, and we're really gonna just, you know, expose their machinations and their and and, and their, you know, their nefarious occultic doings. Uh, this this ancient Babylonian fertility cult is not gonna keep going on and I'll watch not not while Orvis Charles the third and Shelby Hoffman Junior walk this green earth. Yeah, that's right all right well, you know just just remember just, uh, just like Greg do not go whatever you do
5: do not go don't do it to cons- to patreon.com don't slash conspiranormal
4: unless you want to know what's really going on but then you know you gotta be prepared cause you're gonna hear some shit
0: Please consider becoming a Patreon at www.patreon.com conspiranormal or leave a one-time donation at conspiranormal.com. And please check out our YouTube channel, Conspiranormal Podcast. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place.